not knowing that my name, Lata, was as common in India as their names were in the Albany area of New York in the late 1970s and early 1980s. You're Indian, they would ask, before launching into a terrible imitation of a Native American war cry. No, not that kind of Indian, I would correct them, from India. India? Where's that? One of my blonde-haired, freckled friends said before correcting me. Oh, you mean Indiana. You're from Indiana. There was no use trying to convince her otherwise. I well remember my first time having chicken noodle soup for lunch at a friend's house. I was pretty sure I was not supposed to be eating it. I was fairly certain those small, chewy, white chunks were meat. And I was very certain that my family and I do not eat meat. But how could I explain that to my friend's smiling mother, who had just made the soup and served it to me? Had she ever heard of Hinduism? Did she know that many Hindus, like my family, are vegetarian? Did she have something vegetarian I could eat for lunch? Would I get invited back to this friend's house if I said something? So I said nothing. I ate my chicken noodle soup in silence and waited for my mother to explain everything when she picked me up. I do not remember ever going to that friend's house again. Then there was the elementary school classmate who was sure he knew what all people in India eat because of the movie Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I know what you all eat, he said. And there, once again, was the sneer that was starting to become familiar. You all eat monkey brains. I said nothing. I did not think I would be heard over the kid laughter that his statement elicited. Before that, there was the elementary school playground where an older student, flirting with my lighter-skinned friend, whose parents are also from India, then turned to me and asked, Why is your skin the color of poop? All of this taught me from a young age that my differences make me vulnerable. Of course, I did not know the word vulnerable at the time. What I did know is that all of my differences meant people would always make assumptions about me. They would always assume to know who I am or who I should be on their terms. My terms mattered little, if at all, because I would always be outnumbered. And when you are outnumbered, there is no guarantee you will be heard, even when you speak up loudly, because the rest of the room, the majority, will always be louder. Instead, I learned the power of humility. Not that I called it that at that time. I did not call it anything. I just came to understand that, unlike the majority, I could never assume or expect anything to go my way, on my terms. I could never dictate my circumstances, nor anyone else's, for that matter. If I wanted something, I had to ask for it respectfully, or I had to earn it. 
And even then, it was never guaranteed. I would not always get what I wanted. Every once in a while, however, I would get something even better than what I wanted. Just like Ganesha, the Hindu elephant god whom my parents and I worship. Ganesha was not born with the head of an elephant. No, he never asked for the head of an elephant either. It was after his father, Shiva, who upon returning home from a long journey, during which his son was born, became enraged at a strange boy who would not let him into his own house, while his wife, Ganesha's mother, Parvati, was bathing, that Shiva severed his own son's head from his body. It was a regrettable act of hubris, and once Shiva found out from Parvati that he had beheaded his own son, he was very apologetic. So his act of hubris was followed by the ultimate act of restorative justice, giving Ganesha the head of an elephant, and with it the power to bless all beginnings. The story of Ganesha is a story my father told me often while I was growing up. It not only illustrates the power of humility through the violent consequences of Shiva's momentary lack of humility, as well as his mistaken assumptions, but the story of Ganesha's elephant head also demonstrates the power of apologizing as an act of restoration repairing the damage done to create something or someone even better and stronger than before. Humility also came through in my father's references to the Bhagavad Gita, an epic Hindu poem. Don't worry so much about the results of what you are doing, he would tell me when I was paralyzed with self-doubt, often while beginning a new writing project. Just write and trust that the results will be what they need to be, he urged, alluding to what I read during today's call to worship, what Krishna said to Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita. To action alone hast thou a right, and never at all to its fruits. Let not the fruits of action be thy motive. Neither let there be in thee any attachment to inaction, Fixed in yoga, do thy work, O winner of wealth, Arjuna, abandoning attachment with an even mind in success and failure, for evenness of mind is called yoga. I think of this quote often when I am anxious, when my own arrogance makes me believe that I can somehow control all of the consequences of my actions When I am too attached to the fruits of my actions, it reminds me of the power of humility. And it is humility that years later drew me to Unitarian Universalism. Here was a spiritual community that did not claim to know what is best for everybody or anybody. That did not believe in just one single truth for all that accepted multiple truths and, for some, no truth, that considered all faith traditions to be valid and none to be superior. 
Here, I would not be told that I am going to hell because I don't believe in Jesus as my one true Savior or because I don't eat meat. Here was an interfaith community, I thought, where my differences would not make me so vulnerable and I could be Hindu on my terms. I still believe in that Unitarian Universalism. I still believe that we can be that Unitarian Universalist community. That is why I am here today. But in all honesty, I have yet to experience that Unitarian Universalism. You see, from almost the moment my spouse, David, and I became members of a Unitarian Universalist congregation, I was told what it means to be Indian and what it means to be Hindu by the few members who had visited India or who had relatives who had lived and worked in India, by those who had studied or taught yoga or had taken a class on India and Hinduism, by some who had learned some Sanskrit from practicing Buddhism, and by one member who had read Elizabeth Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love at the time it was popular. I well remember a couple of members telling me about the RE lessons they had taught about elephant god Ganesha after the fact. When I responded that what they had taught is not quite what I had grown up learning about Ganesha, they replied, well, we followed the UUA given curriculum on Ganesha, as if to say that the UUA is always right and the UUA's curriculum on Hinduism mattered more than the perspective and experience of the real live Hindu communicating with them at the moment. I share all of this not to say that the UUA was wrong about Hinduism. Indeed, none of the Unitarian Universalists who have told me what being Hindu or being India meant, being Indian meant were wrong, but they were not entirely right either. You see, India and Hinduism, as I have come to learn both, are a lot like Unitarian Universalism. They too, traditionally and historically, embrace pluralism, with no one set of practices or beliefs prevailing, but with great diversity in thought, perspectives, practices, and beliefs. Indeed, I have learned that Hinduism did not exist as its own organized faith tradition until British colonists decided to group all of the various spiritual practices throughout India into one religion. Similarly, India as a cohesive nation did not exist until colonization and then independence. That's why almost every state in India has its very own language. And it is hard to make generalizations about such a diverse nation. In my view, then, there is a lot that today's Unitarian Universalists can learn from and unlearn about India and Hinduism as we together covenant to journey towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community. But to do so, we must practice cultural humility. Not cultural competence, because really, how do you measure competence in something as varied and dynamic as a culture? Cultural humility, to me, is different. It does not assume that anyone 
is an authority or expert on a culture, even the UUA. Instead, cultural humility understands that some people identify with the culture and have more firsthand experience with it than others. And their cultural identity and experience should be valued and honored with the time and space necessary to express that cultural identity and experience on their terms. In other words, please do not show or tell me what you know about Hinduism in India without also giving me the time and space necessary to tell you something different than what you know. That goes for anyone identifying with a culture or faith tradition in which you were not raised. More importantly, please do not just see me or treat me in terms of what you think I represent, but rather as who I am. And the only way for you to know who I am is to grant me the time and space to represent myself on my terms, to honor my inherent worth and dignity, not just as a Hindu Indian American, but as an individual who is both all of those things, Hindu, Indian, and American, and also so much more than all of those things. That is the power of cultural humility. And when you forget, as we all do, and make wrong assumptions about who someone is or who they are not, based on what you think you know, I hope you will recognize your mistake and make every effort to repair it and restore justice just as Shiva did with Ganesha and Parvati. That is the power of apologizing. Several years ago, I noticed the word humility does not appear in any of the principles of Unitarian Universalism. I was curious about this as I have come to learn that humility is central to many faith traditions throughout the world. I brought this up with then DRE Janice Rennie, who mentioned it to Reverend Rod Richards. I believe that that, in part, led to Reverend Rod's April 8, 2018 sermon on humility. I was present for that sermon, and I also asked Reverend Rod to share a copy of it with me as I was preparing to give this sermon to you today. He graciously shared it with me. The sermon mostly offered a Judeo-Christian interpretation of humility as the tension between humans being the subjects of God while also being created in the image of God, with Unitarian Universalists, meanwhile, mostly rejecting both relationships between humans and God and thus eschewing humility in favor of humanism. But at the root of both words, humanism and humility, is humus, which, as Reverend Rod said in his sermon, means ground in Latin. So to me, to be grounded in humanism means also to be grounded in humility. We must exercise humility with our fellow humans to respect the inherent worth and dignity of every person on their terms and also to practice justice equity, and compassion in human relations, currently the second principle of Unitarian Universalism. To 
Towards the end of his sermon on humility, Reverend Rod gave a quote from Andrew J. Holmes. It is well to remember that the entire population of the universe, with one trifling exception, is composed of others. I have been thinking about this quote a lot recently, after reading Reverend Rod's sermon and while preparing this sermon. And what I've been thinking is that those of us with differences that make us vulnerable to the assumptions of others, others who always outnumber us, We really do not need to remember this quote. We are already well aware that the universe is composed overwhelmingly of others who are not us, and that those others often have the power to define us. What it would do us, the different ones, well to remember instead, is to speak up loudly and ask for cultural humility. Ask for the time and space to represent and express ourselves on our terms. And if the rest of the room is louder, speak up and ask for it again. Believe in the power of cultural humility and sincere apologies because those of us who are different have more than earned it.